been a few developments this past week. I just heard that Rand Paul, a U.S. Senator, has just stood up and called for civil disobedience. He didn't say violence, but he said civil disobedience. He said he's had it, and he's not the only one that has. That uh, they're trying to take all our freedoms away, force vaccination on us when it's unconstitutional, and various things of that nature that the present administration is doing. So he says it's time to quit going along with it. It's time to tell them to take their mask and get rid of it and their vaccine and all these things that they're trying to do. He says, just ignore it. Don't do what they say. Now, of course, if we start doing that, uh, I think considering who is in charge, I guess we'd have to say, are going to crack down even harder. So we're headed for civil war. We're headed for true trouble in this nation like we've never seen before, even including the first civil war. It's going to get far worse than that ever was. So I guess you better batten the hatches and prepare because uh, who knows? You still, you can't go into McDonald's now as a customer without a vaccine proof or as uh, of course, an employee. And that's being talked about in various other corporations. I bought tires for my truck and for my car a couple months ago, and in both cases, I wanted to run them a few more months. I went ahead and bought them. Supplies are getting short on a lot of things, and they still had to order and wait for a month to get the right sizes. But I wanted to go ahead and buy them. So I and I thought, well, and uh, have them put on because I'd already paid for it because I may not be able to go into Costco in another month or two or whatever it takes before this crackdown comes. I'm not going to get a vaccination. And if I can't go and buy and sell without one, then I won't buy and sell. So I made them give me my old tires back because they still have some wear left on them and put the new ones on while I could still get in Costco. Because I think the day is coming fairly soon when you won't go to Walmart and you won't go to Costco without a vaccination. Uh, this thing is a promise. And Rand Paul is now calling for civil disobedience. He says Americans should not give in. Uh, a teacher was fired the other day, school teacher, because she said she'd rather have a potato as president than Joe Biden. <laughs> uh, fired for making a comment like that. Since when can you not speak your mind and have freedom of speech in America. You can't do it anymore without getting fired or censured or kicked off of Facebook, which I question we should be on anyway, uh, among other things. Anyway, uh, Ron Paul has been saying for decades now 
that we're in trouble, and his son Rand has now stood up as a congressman and said he will block with bills <coughs> anything that comes along that tries to oppress us and suppress us any further. So at least you have someone here and there who's standing up for our rights. But how many Americans will do that? We shall see. Because it looks like there is a total lockdown coming up soon. I keep reading here and there uh, comments about it, that it is on its way. So we shall see. But I can't imagine it being any other way. Can you? And they've already proven the vaccine does not stop COVID. Now they've proven that people who have been vaccinated are spreading it more than people who have not. So there is no medical reason to have a vaccination or to wear a mask. Those things have been proved. So then why do they insist on giving it? Because they want us dead. That's why. Bill Gates and others have come out very clearly and said we need a 90% population reduction. So we've got this new disease and this new vaccine that will make you safe. So you must take it. And for those who haven't, there is going to become extreme pressure to cause them to take it because their goal is a 90% population destruction. So the only reason that they are pushing it at this point when it has been medically proved that it is of no value is that they want us dead. They've stated that. Why is the greatest depopulation proponent, Bill Gates, involved in this thing to make you say? When he has said, you need to die. How do you put that together any other way? I want you dead, but this will save you. Give me a break. Anyway, let's get back to uh, where we were last week. Because we ended up chapter 4 of Hosea, the last few verses, very quickly. Uh, where he compares Israel to a backsliding heifer, one who has all four feet planted and refuses to come forward. And I'm going to substitute the term United States for Ephraim. I think there is no doubt that this nation represents Ephraim of all the tribes here at the end time. So let's not use the term Ephraim, let's use the term United States, because that's whom God is speaking to. He said in verse 17, Ephraim is joined to idols, let him alone. And then he says in verse 19, the wind is going to blow them away. Not in those exact terms, but that's what he's saying. So let's get down to chapter 5. And we have a specific warning here. After he makes this statement about our rebellion and our idolatry and how he is going to cause us to be blown away, he gives a specific warning. 
Hear you this, O priests. So he's addressing church or churches in this nation and their leaders, their ministers. And give you ear, O house of the king. So he addresses both sides, church and state. He wants the attention of all the leaders, religious or political, priests and kings. For judgment is toward you. God has stated here that his judgment is done. This is going to happen. Listen up, because I've made a judgment and I'm going to carry it out. Because you have been a snare on Mizpah and a net spread upon Tabor. Now, what does that mean in today's language? It doesn't say Chicago and Miami and New York. It says Mizpah and Tabor. Well, it's addressing the United States in prophecy, uh, Ephraim. And those were places within Israel. the term Mizpah, according to the Bible dictionary, refers to about six different places that were called Mizpah. The word itself in the Hebrew uh, is akin to the word watchman. So they have come against, because they have been a snare to anybody who would stand up and say, trouble is coming. I think we could put Rand Paul in that category as of today, when he made that speech, or yesterday, whatever it happened, where he stood up and said, I see trouble coming. You need to do something about it, or they are going to overrun us. So he is, in that sense, a type of Mizpah, a watchman who says, there's trouble coming. Listen. Now, how many Americans are going to pick that up and make it viral on the Internet. Not too many. Some preppers here and there, and maybe a few sites. But the average American will pay no attention. Mizpah also is where David went for refuge to save his family when he had some trouble. So Mizpah was, in that sense, fairly prominent. Now, Tabor... uh, is listed as a town in Israel and near Jerusalem, as was Mitzvah, uh, and also a mountain, Mount Tabor. So these are areas of the United States, Ephraim, where trouble is coming and has come. And anyone who stands up and tries to be a whistleblower or a watchman is suicided or gotten rid of or their sites on the Internet or social media are taken down. It's happening increasingly. So they've been what? The preachers and the politicians have been a snare against anyone who would stand up and say, hey, this is wrong. Our president's a potato. (laughs) And they're fired or gotten rid of in one form or another. So they've been a snare or a net 
Well, what does that indicate? Hunters use snares and nets for animals and for fish. So the politicians and the religious leaders have been trying to hunt us down and destroy us, kill us. Now, is that current in this nation or not? They've done things that are intended to kill us. They're interfering with the weather in order to cause drought and famine and to kill us. Many, many things are being done to get rid of us as American people. So this is current events. This is right now. They're building FEMA camps to put the rebels in, Rand Paul being one of them. Now, after that speech, of course, he's a senator, and uh, they might have a little more trouble suiciding him in the back of the head. I don't know. But his life is in danger after standing up against the present administration. And he called them out for what they are. He said, they're trying to take us over and make communists out of us. So them's fighting words to the present administration. And he called him a false president, I think, in his own words. So these people are trying to kill us. And right here it is. Been in here all these years. And today it's a fact. Verse 2, and the revolters are profound to make slaughter. Now who are the revolters in our nation today? Those who stole an election, revolted against the legal administration, and took over. Revolted against it. It was a coup d'etat. You can't call it anything else. So who is in charge of America today? The revolters. Does God know what he's talking about? He wrote this like 3,500 years ago, more or less a couple, 300 years. And it's exactly what's happening right now, today. We can put names to the revolters. Biden, Pelosi, Occasional Cortex, what's her name? OAC, whatever it is. This Ilhan Arab, and on and on it goes. The people in the administration are the revolters spoken of right here in Hosea 5. It's current events happening right now as we sit here. The revolters are profound to make slaughter. Why is Bill Gates buying up all that agricultural land? It said now he has more farmland than any other owner in the nation. He believes we don't need people, just a few, to serve him and his buddies. Do you think there's a chance he's going to shut down all his farmland? That he's going to say, plant native grasses and let it go back to nature? Because all these useless eaters won't need food. Why is he buying all that up if he doesn't do something to help depopulate the earth with it? They are bound and determined to kill as many of us as they possibly can. 
and not just us, but worldwide. Though I have been a rebuker of them all. Now you go through all the prophecies and God rebukes all these people who have turned from him and have now decided that we all need to die. So all through the prophecies, God has rebuked them for this. Are they listening? No. <clears throat> then God says, I know the United States and Israel is not hid from me. I see everything that's going on. For now, O United States, you committed whoredom and Israel is defiled. We have committed whoredoms with all the nations of the earth. God said, depend upon me, I will take care of you. And yet we've made alliances and deals with all the other nations. And you know what? It's coming back on us. God said, you don't need a defense system. If you will obey me, I will protect you. That's all we needed to do. But what have we done? We put out these defense contracts to other nations, particularly China, and we can't get parts for our fighters and bombers and submarines if they say no. We're cutting off the supply line. Then when our equipment and our defense mechanism or machinery goes down, it's down for good because the Chinese make our parts. You talk about whoring with other nations instead of turning to God. They will not frame their doings to turn to their God. Or, as the Hebrew says, literally, their doings will not allow them or suffer them to turn to God. All the things that are important to us as Americans, generally, are turning us from God. When you're pursuing this, that, or the other thing, it keeps you from turning to God. And I've seen a lot of people, even coming into God's church. Well, you need to keep the Sabbath. Well, yeah, but I, I'd lose my job. And they would turn and walk away, even though they knew it was the Sabbath, but their job, their doings, their way of life prevents them from turning to God in His Sabbath. Just one little example. I could probably come up with 15 or 20 here pretty quickly of things that people put ahead of God that keep them from turning. You mean I have to give 10% of my income to God if I'm going to be a part of His church and part of His people? Well, that's what it says. Oh, I can't do that. My taxes are too high. I can't do that. I've got my car payment and my house payment to make. I can't do that. And they turn and walk away from the truth because they're not willing to accept what God says to do. You're going to have to give up Christmas and Easter? That's the only time my family gets together. And I've done that all my life. I can't quit that. Turn and walk away. 
I can't keep the feast because I don't have enough time off for my job. They've threatened to fire me if I go to the feast. So I'm going to have to stay here. On the other hand, I've seen people who have learned that they're supposed to keep the feast, and their employer says, if you go keep the feast, don't come back. And when they got done keeping the feast, they went back, and the employer says, oh, we missed you. We need you here. You act in faith, and God will take care of you. You act cowardly and are refuse to do what he says, and you will bear whatever comes as a result. We can never go wrong by putting God first in what he says. If you love me, keep my commandments. The way we show God we love him is by keeping his commandments. That is our expression of love. It's how we show our love. You know, many of us grew up with parents who had trouble expressing their love. I don't think my dad could tell me he loved me until he was at least 60 years old. And then he learned. And he learned to hug me and tell me, I love you. He grew and overcame over time. But his dad had been... Well, I won't even talk about it. And he didn't learn anything in terms of affection or love from his dad, period. So he didn't know, I know he loved me, but he didn't know how to express it in any way until later in life, and he finally learned. Well, we're the same with God. He tells us how we express our love. And that it isn't godly love unless it is done his way, according to his rules. We express our love to him by keeping his rules. And then he knows. You want to do this, and you want to do that, and you want to do this, but you don't because you love me. And then he knows. He has proof that we love him because we're doing what he says to do, whether we like it or not. That's godly love. Now, we can have a lot of human emotion. We can have a lot of human feelings just by the nature of reproduction and having children, if nothing else. We can have a human love for our children and for our dog and our cat. But that is not godly love. That is simply human affection and emotion. And it's real, but it's not the love of God. The love of God is expressed in two things. He boiled the two commandments down to two things, all ten fit on that frame of two things. Love me above everything and love your neighbor as much as yourself. So he's defining love as the first four commandments specifically to God and love as the last six commandments in terms of our neighbor. Don't lie to them, don't steal to, from them, don't commit adultery with them, don't do all these things, don't lust after or covet what they have. 
Now that's godly love to your neighbor. Human love to your neighbor is he bought me a beer and that was nice. I think I'll go get another and we get along nicely. That's human feelings, but it has nothing to do with the love of God. The love of God is expressed, all ten commandments, in two things. How we love him and how we love each other. So if you want to know if you love God and how much you love God, how much do you keep his commandments? That's how he judges it. You'll know by the fruits. So when people say, well, I've learned that this is the right day and those are the right feasts and I need to do this and I need to do that, and then they don't, then the love of God is not in them. Now, they might want to be part of a club, they might want to be part of a church, they might want to be part of this or that, or the Masons or the Boy Scouts. But in any organization you name on earth, if you're going to be part of that, you've got to follow the rules. How long do you think the Masons will put up with you if you don't follow their rules? How long do you think the Democrats will put up with you if you don't follow their rules? And get both your vaccinations and your third booster, which will be coming along shortly, I'm sure. Already is in Israel. No, they won't change their conduct to turn to God. They insist on doing things their own way. That's our nation. For the spirit of whoredoms is in the middle of them, and they have not known the eternal. Our spirit as a nation is to do as we please. I will do what I want, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. That is at the basis of human nature. I will do what I want. And we go whoring after all kinds of idols. And that means we don't know God. We don't know Him, and we don't love Him. Because it's not just the politicians who are liars and thieves and crooks, but even the religions say, the law is done away with, you don't need to keep it. We just have this feeling, this sticky feeling of love in our heart. Well, sticky feelings in the heart will not get you into the kingdom of God. If you will enter into life, keep the commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Knowing God and loving God all have to do with our conduct. Not just a sticky feeling. Now let's go to verse 5. And the pride of Israel does testify to his face. We have been a proud nation. Pride in America. Pride in the flag. Pride in our military. Pride in our power. Pride in our wealth. Very proud. You know what God thinks of pride in any form? God hates pride. He is against pride. He resists pride. 
He tells us to be humble, to be meek, to be loving, to be kind, and not be proud. How quickly can you find out that you still have pride? All it takes is mild criticism by somebody. All it takes is a social slight of some kind. And we'll rise up in pride and say, why are they doing that to me? Why do they think that about me? Our pride is always just about that far from the surface. And it doesn't take much to pull it out. Because as human beings, that is a key ingredient of our makeup, is our pride. Proud to be an American. Well, I've been happy to be an American. I've always, of course, because I knew this, tried not to be proud in that sense of our nation. But now it's gotten to the point, even for those who try to hold up the flag and say proud to be an American, there's not much to be proud of anymore. We're a divided nation. We wear masks to hide from each other, or have been and will again. And we have social distancing to try to stay away from each other. And on and on it goes. And you can't speak your mind to each other, or someone will tell on you, and you'll be castigated on Facebook or Twitter or whoever they are. We have not known the eternal. We're a godless nation. Even those who claim to be of God are not because they say His commandments are done away. And they're expecting to go to heaven or be raptured or whatever their particular belief anyway. Not in your life. That's contrary to everything God says. John, the Apostle John, talked about love more than anyone in the Bible writings. And the Apostle John talked about commandment keeping more than anyone in the Bible writings. According to the Apostle John, you could not separate commandment keeping and love. Cannot be done. If you have questions about Paul or someone who wrote some things hard to understand, go to John. He puts everything very simply. The Gospel of John and all three books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Very simply written. Very straightforward. No way to misinterpret what he says. And he says you can't separate commandment keeping and love of God. And if you don't love God, that is, don't keep His commandments, you won't be in the kingdom of God. It's just that simple. They've not known God. The pride of Israel does testify to His face. Therefore shall Israel and the United States fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them. I don't know who we are, who we include as Judah here, 
necessarily. Uh, I mean, people think of the nation of Israel as Judah, but I think there are as many Edomites there as there are Jews. The, uh, oh, the word won't come to my mind. The Sephardic Jews uh, may be true Jews by birth or by blood. And the Edomites, the Ashkenazis, uh, Ashkenazi, if you will, uh, are probably Edomites, spoken of in the book of Obadiah and other places, who will joy over our destruction. So, but Judah's going to fall. So, it did say in the prophecies that Judah would be scattered among the Israelitish nations. There are probably more Jews, of blood Jews, in America than maybe any other country. New York and Miami and other places, Los Angeles have a lot of them. Uh, far more so-called Jews, at least, in America than there are in the nation of Israel today. So when Ephraim falls, it says Judah will fall with them. And uh, those who claim to be Jews here, those who are true Jews, are going to go down with this nation. Well, that's, they're lumped together here. <clears throat> All right, verse 6, They shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the eternal, but they shall not find them. He has withdrawn himself from them. God has withdrawn from this nation. But people still say, God bless America. No, he is not, and he will not. At least not now. He's going to say later on that he will. But not until certain conditions have been met. So he is already withdrawn from us. We're on our own. And Satan's after us, and God has said, sick him to Satan. Just like he did to Job. And they're after us wholeheartedly right now. Now I applied this to the church the first time I went through uh, the minor prophets. About how we had strayed from God and were Laodicean and lackadaisical. And he had withdrawn from us. And that's what he said in Revelation 3 he would do and spew us out of his mouth. That he would not bless the church anymore until certain conditions were met. We are working toward meeting those conditions. And even he says that only 10% of what was the church will meet those conditions and be brought together to build his temple. Am I echoing? Maybe that's better. <clears throat> I don't mean to say it six times, but if it echoes, you, you get the reverberation. He's withdrawn from the church and is very shortly now going to turn his attention to 10% of it. And he is withdrawn from the nation and its destruction is before us. It is coming apart at the seams and being destroyed even as we sit here today. The United States of America is not a nation anymore. And I think this dates back to the 65 years of Isaiah 7, which I believe ended in 2019. 
and COVID was released in about September of 2019, and it's gotten worse and worse ever since. The lockdowns, the destruction of our culture and our nation, and the supply lines and our economy, it's all affected by it. And we're no longer a nation like we were 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. It's changed. God withdrew himself. I think he made that judgment in August of 2017, and it is now coming down upon us. He had withheld his judgment, giving us space to repent. We didn't do it, and then he passed judgment when that eclipse went over in August of 17. And our judgment was sealed. Now it is happening. He withdrew himself. Verse 7, They have dealt treacherously against the eternal, for they have begotten strange children. Now shall a month devour them with their portions. Interesting verse, verse 7. He withdrew. He says, We have dealt treacherously against him, living our own way, doing our own thing, not doing things God's way living a life apart from God. That's this nation. They've begotten strange children. They've not begotten to themselves God's children or godly children. We're going around the world making alliances and bringing in strange children from all over the world. Our borders now are essentially completely open. Anybody can come from anywhere and cross the border from Mexico or Canada and come here. So we're taking in children that are strange to our culture or to Israel as a physical people. Now we understand, of course, that blood means nothing anymore. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile or a mix of 50 different races. That matters not one whit. We are either spiritual Jews or spiritual Gentiles. One of the two. And that's all that matters. Now, I can take myself as an example. I'm a mixture of no telling how many races of people. Start looking at their genealogy and you'll find that there's all kinds of people in there somewhere. None of us are pure Israelite or pure Gentile anymore. We're all mulattoes, if you will. A mixture of different races. I'm sure I have some black in me. Based upon the features of some of my grandparents and cousins. They came from Georgia. Duh. I've got some Welsh in me. I've got some English in me and some Irish and maybe some Swedish and who knows what else. (laughs) That doesn't matter. It is of utterly no consequence spiritually. We stand before God as a human being no matter what our blood says. And we are either spiritual Israelites or we're not. That's the only thing that counts.
They brought in strange children. Now shall a month devour them with their portions. Will it be a literal 30 days in which we completely come apart? I don't know. Uh, this is translated two or three different ways by different uh, translators in, of the Bible. It means a very short period of time, certainly. If you go to the book of Revelation, uh, it says that the destruction of this nation, Babylon, Ephraim, will occur in one hour and in another place in that same chapter, a day. It says an hour several times. Well, if a, a day can represent a year in, his, in prophecy, which it sometimes does, and God said so, then a day, an hour, is a long way short of a year. A very, very short period of time. And it says it's an immediate, and we won't expect it, and we won't, See it coming, it will just fall on us. So, from start to finish, uh, if an attack comes on this nation, we could be done in 30 days. I think that there is a distinct possibility of that. And if not 30 days, it certainly means a very short period of time. You always have to allow for the Bible to interpret itself. A day can be as a year. A day can be as a thousand years, depending on the context and what it's talking about. So an hour, a day, a month, depending on the context, could be there as well. But we know from Revelation 18 it's going to come very, very quickly. Uh, Zechariah 11:8 says that God will destroy three shepherds in one month. Does that mean 30 days? It may or may not, but there's some religious organizations that are going to go down very quickly. So he says then in verse 8, after saying these things, I thought about going back to Isaiah 1, maybe I should, just to compare a little bit. He says he's brought up his children in verse 2, and they've rebelled against him. The ox knows his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doesn't know my or does not know. My people do not under consider. They're sinful, laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They've forsaken the eternal. They've provoked the Holy One to anger, and they're gone away backward. Why should you be stricken anymore? We've started into this. Why are we going to cause it to continue? We could repent, but we're not going to. Jeremiah even says, don't even pray for this nation. They will not repent. Forget it. Your prayers are wasted. So is carrying the flag around. Wasted. Doesn't mean a thing anymore. Why would you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The entire government is sick. And the whole heart faint. Americans don't have the heart to stand up against a sick government. Rand Paul just told us, it's time, you better do it now or it's too late. 
do these scriptures fit what we see happening day by day or not? From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it. It's not just our government. It's not just the head. It's from those at the very bottom of society, from the foot. We can blame it on the government all we want to, but God says it's sick from the foot to the head and everything in between. It's not just of liars and corrupt politicians. It's liars and thieves and corrupt, corrupt people who have no moral value hardly at all left of any kind. There's no soundness. Can you see any soundness in this? Politics? Not a chance. Hollywood? Maybe even lesser chance. Music? Oh, ungodly, satanic garbage, most of it. Nearly all of it. No soundness, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, infected, smelly, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Our sickness, our infection, our pus is everywhere evident. Your country is desolate. It's getting there. Your cities are burned with fire. We got terrorists and Antifas and BLMs and all those types have been burning and destroying our cities. This is current events. And wildfires are also beginning to destroy them. There's a little town in California a couple of days ago, completely burned. About a thousand people live there. So in wildfires or in terrorism, either way, it's happening. I don't need to teach prophecy anymore, brethren. It's not prophecy, it's current events. It's what's happening every day to us. Strangers devour it in your presence, your land. We've got people coming in now by the tens and hundreds of thousands, and they get government aid, they get driver's licenses, they can do most anything they want, with or without a green card, doesn't matter. They're devouring the land. In your presence, and it is desolate, is overthrown by strangers. Who's the biggest enemy today? White Anglo-Saxon man. Biggest enemy of the state. Who was it the other day? Some leading politician said, if you don't take the vaccination, you could, should be considered a terrorist. What did Bush say we needed to do with terrorists? Hunt everyone down, everywhere they are in the world, and kill them all. That's what he said in his speech after 9-1-1. So the government views you, if you won't take the vaccine, as a terrorist who needs what? Killed. That is their intent and their purpose. 
The daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. We are a besieged nation. Our freedoms have been and are being taken away wholesale. You can't speak your mind anymore without getting in trouble. We're besieged. He says, if God didn't save a small remnant in the next verse, we'd be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Totally wiped out. Does this sound like Hosea? Let's go back there. He issues a warning in verse 8 of chapter 5. Blow the trumpet in Gibeah and the trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud at beth After you, O Benjamin. Well, he says, across the land, across here... You could say this of L.A. and Houston and Chicago or wherever. Cities in our nation. He's talking about Ephraim, the United States here. It's 3,500 years ago, so he referred to cities in what then was the nation. But it's referring to the ones here today. Because it's an end-time prophecy. Verse 9. Ephraim shall be desolate. In the day of rebuke. Ezekiel says it very well. Chapter 5. One third will die of famine and pestilence. One third of the sword. And one third will be taken into captivity all over the world. And a sword after them. So what that tells me is this kill shot that they're trying to force on every one of us is not going to kill us all. Only one-third of us are going to die of famine and pestilence, okay? The famine is coming very quickly upon us. Check the price of food. Check the weather that is destroying crops. Famine and then disease that comes with it always is at the very door. And we will be invaded as soon as we are weak enough that they think they can go ahead with it, and one-third of us will die of the sword. So God states how it will be. Now, many of those who die of the sword may already be headed toward death and famine and pestilence, but that isn't what's going to kill them. A third will die of famine and pestilence, and a third by the sword. And the famine and pestilence will continue even as we go down militarily and are killed by the sword because a third will then be taken into captivity and they're not going to be fed very well either and a sword will come after them so if we are do not have the physical health or the ability to serve our new world order great reset masters we will be killed because they want servants slaves who can do what they want done. And Ezekiel says, nine-tenths of us will die in this form. So the scripture stands above Bill Gates and Joe Biden and Nancy and all these others. Their kill shot is not going to get 90% of us. It might have an awful lot to do with getting a third of us. But they are also making deals 
with China, with Russia, with other nations, and the United Nations to come in and destroy us militarily. And Jeremiah 50 and 51 says that our leaders will make deals with those nations to come in and betray us. They are currently making deals to betray you and me to death. That's what the Bidens, Joe and Hunter and others, are doing with the communists this very day and have been for quite some time. What I'm saying today is enough to get you killed. It's okay. It's okay. God says he will protect his people from this if they will obey him and serve him. But do you know how many lists I'll be on if this recording gets into their grasp? And they can take it right off right now if they want to. It doesn't matter. I'm 77 years old. If they shoot me in the back of the head, the world won't have any great loss and I'm due to die pretty soon anyway. I don't care. Not that I don't want to die. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it doesn't matter. You tell people what's coming regardless of the consequence. As in the light of Esther. What did she say? I'll go to the king, and if I die, I die, but I've got to tell him. And Ezekiel tells the watchman, you better stand up and tell what you see coming, or it'll fall on your head. The blood will be on your shoulders. I don't want your blood, or anybody else's blood, on my head. So I'm telling you what Isaiah and Hosea say. What God says. And that's all that matters. My eternal judgment is yet ahead. And I don't want the blood of people that I didn't warn on my record. So here it is. Okay? If people don't listen, the blood is on their head. Now, God is warning the nation here. I went through these scriptures almost 25 years ago and applied them directly to the church and told everybody in hearing distance they needed to repent, both in Church of the Great God, to hundreds of people, and after we came here to up to 150 plus whoever was listening, it's out there that we all needed to repent and turn to God with zeal and energy. And wherever that message goes, whether for me or someone else, only 10% of what was the church have been and will respond. That's it. What about the nation? That's where we are now. This isn't prophecy, this is current events. What does God say? Blow the trumpet. Ephraim, the United States, will be desolate in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel have I made known that which shall surely be. 
So he's telling the rest of Israel, I am going to destroy the United States. That's what he's saying in so many words. The princes of Judah were like them that removed the bound. What is someone that removes the bound? They used to set up pillars of rocks for property markers. We use brass pins now or various other things. But people would go out in the night, move your property pillar over a few feet. Remove the bounds. What is our government doing right now as we speak? They have caused a housing bubble to occur by printing trillions of dollars and houses have doubled and tripled in price in the last year or two. And now they are going to turn it around and stop the money flow at some point and people are going to lose their houses. Why do you think they keep this rent moratorium and eviction moratorium going? To cause people to have a bigger and bigger debt. That's what. So that when it is, if ever, lifted, they can't make their mortgage payment or their back rent and they will be foreclosed upon or kicked out. And one scenario I've heard, and it makes some sense to me, is they're going to say, you have all this debt. You own your cars. You you owe on your boat. You owe on your house. You can't possibly pay this because you're working at minimum wage and just getting a small check from the government every so often. And you can't make these payments. That's why we had this moratorium. Now, we're going to take it away, and what are you going to do? Well, I'll be bankrupt. I'll be living in the street. I won't even have a car. Oh, well, that's going to be so sad. I hate it that that's going to happen to you. Tell you what I'll do. You turn your house and your cars over to me and sign a statement that you will never own a house or a car again and we will give you $2,000 a month to live on for the rest of your life. Problem solved. Now you're a nice little communist peasant who receives a dole from the government, and you can never own anything again. They will take it all away. You know what else they're going to do with all these values and houses going through the roof? What's they going to do to your property taxes? Double and triple them. A lot of people won't even be able to pay their property taxes, and they'll lose their houses over that. These people are diabolical. They're trying to take everything away from us and kill us. That's all they want is everything they've got, or you've got, and you. That's all they want. The princes, the leaders of Judah. We got some Judah congressmen, leaders, people in Washington. People in the Pentagon are making a lot of these policies. They remove the bound. They take your property away from you. That's what you do when you move the boundaries. 
We're, we're setting your boundary here instead of there. Well, that puts me out where I don't own. Oh, that's okay. This isn't your property anymore. It isn't yours and hasn't been for a long, long time anyway, right? You don't pay your property taxes, they come take your land away from you. It's been that way for a long time. It's just going to get worse. Therefore, I will pour out my wrath upon them like water. Because of what they're doing to us right now in this nation. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment. Are Americans being oppressed right now? I feel oppressed every time I try to go into a bank or a store and they say, put your mask on. I feel oppressed when I hear that they're going to make me take a vaccine or I can't go in a store, period. Or can't go on a plane or can't go and buy and sell. I told you last week, it's already that way in Ireland. You can't travel and you can't buy and sell unless you're vaccinated. And there are other countries that are in various stages of implementing that. And they are in stages of implementing that right here. We are only a month or months away from it. Not very long. Because they are bound and determined not to let this get away from them. We got half of them vaccinated. We can kill the rest if we'll just get them to take this thing. But they're waking up to the fact that it isn't working. So what are we going to do? They're going to have to do something pretty desperate to try to get the rest of us inoculated. We shall see what. They are considering a total lockdown again. And if people listen to Rand Paul and stand up against it, we're headed for civil war. And United Nations soldiers coming in and our own military coming after us. That's what's out there. They are absolutely determined to give us all a shot or two, or three, whatever it takes to kill us. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment. How much judgment is there in this nation today? Good judgment? There's anything coming out of Washington, D.C., or the governor's houses. There's nothing of good judgment left. Because he willingly walked after the commandment. What that means is walked against God's commandments after the rules of men. And that's what we have done. And the, and the men are making more and more rules that are more and more onerous and against us that are trying to deprive us of any freedoms we have left. They've walked against everything godly and toward everything satanic. Okay, then God pronounces a judgment as a result of that. Verse 12, Therefore will I be to Ephraim, or to the United States, as a moth, and to the house of Judah as rottenness. What does a moth do? It eats up your clothes. Makes big holes in them. Makes them unusable. 
I had a bunch of new socks in a drawer. Started to get some out the other day. And a mouse had gotten in there. And he did the same thing as a moth. He just started chewing up socks. He only got one, but he got it good. That old that big. And I put out more decon. You know, when these things happen, you got to put up some kind of opposition or they'll take you down. Whether it be a government or a moth. Rottenness. Well, what is rottenness? Get a piece of meat, leave it out in the sun. Come back in three days. That's rottenness. God's going to be to us like rotten meat. Anybody want some? Didn't think so. Now, there's going to come a point, and I'm going to finish this chapter. There's going to come a point when Ephraim or the United States saw his sickness. At some point, we're going to wake up and realize just how sick we are. And Judah saw his wound, putrefying, infected wound. What does it take before we see what condition we're in? Got your job and your TV and your internet and your phone? What else you need? What's it going to take to show us how sick we are? <coughs> so, when they do see it, then went Ephraim to the Assyrian and sent to King Jareb, who was the king of Syria. Yet could he not heal you, nor cure you of your wounds. Don't turn to God. Where did Biden recently go? And I quoted this a few weeks ago. He went to Putin. See if he could make some kind of deal with Vladimir. Probably represents the Assyrian overall. Do you think Russia is going to try to solve our problems for us and make everything good here? I kind of doubt it. Then he says, you can go to all these people you want to. You can go to the U.N. They're already talking in Washington about turning the United Nations loose on us if we won't take the vaccination. Well, God says it won't do you any good. For I will be to Ephraim or the United States as a lion. Ever watch some of those movies they show where lions get hold of an antelope? I'll be to the United States like a lion. And as a young lion to the house of Judah. Young, strong, bold, hungry, ready to kill. I, that's right, even I, will tear and go away. God said he's going to tear us like a lion and then go away. This is God speaking. This isn't the devil. This isn't George Soros. This isn't Bill Gates. This is God saying this. I, even I, will tear and go away. So what's coming on this nation is a judgment from God. I will take away, and none shall rescue him. There's nobody that will come and take care of us when God brings this down on us.
And it's being brought down, day by day now. So what does God say He's going to do? I will go and return to my place. I'm going to come down there. I'm going to turn this loose on you. And then I'm going to go back to my throne, my place, till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me early. So what God is going to do is bring destruction upon this nation. You know, we're very near the time when Christ will return, only a few years from now. And when will this nation repent? Within a few years. Not until it's destroyed and a remnant is left. And God offers the millennium. Then they will repent and turn to God. But not until. This destruction is final. Until they repent at the beginning of the millennium. When Christ is here to rule them in equity and honor and love. That's when they will. But that's early. You see what I mean. Beginning of the millennium. I don't have time to get into it today, but we'll talk about this more in the next chapter because he gives us some clues that what I just said is correct. Now, he's already told the church when he is going to turn to us. When the Laodiceans, 10% of them, repent and turn to him, he is going to turn and bless us and smile on us again. And that time for that to happen is very, very near. Very near. Even as this judgment that is just now coming on the United States, God turning it around in blessing is very, very near. Probably within, just give it a number, ten years. I think within ten years. This will turn around. I'm not, that's not a prophecy. I'm just saying it's very near. That's all I'm trying to get across. That we will be destroyed, and then Christ will return and offer blessings for obedience upon all Israel and upon this nation. So when he says they'll acknowledge their offense, they'll repent, they'll say, I was wrong. We did this wrong. Now I want to come and follow you. When will this nation do that? Other scriptures show not until the millennium. Over 90% of us will be dead by then. And a little less than 10% will be those who repent and turn to God. Early. Not long after the destruction. When Christ returns. When he sets up the millennium shortly thereafter. That's when it will happen. We'll get into that more next week, so let's stop here for today.